involvement that uh, our son is going to have in this church and the journey forward. Uh, much transition going on and uh, many trials that are, we're facing daily and I think in the world we live and uh, how important it is as we just sang that song, The Victory We Have in Jesus, uh, the verse in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is where our hope is. And that is where our victory is, and we can rejoice because of that, because there is a world that is watching you and us and me as we go through difficulties and uh, different situations, that uh, we can uh, continue to be that testimony and that witness. This particular passage in the message this morning, it says, are you ready to evangelize in today's culture? Are you ready to share the truth? And if we truly believe in why we're meeting here this morning, we truly believe that message and that truth, that Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. May we understand the importance of to share that with the world that is in desperate need of truth, that needs to know the way, that needs to know the truth. But we need to be prepared to share that. And uh, thinking along those lines, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the scripture that was read this morning here in 1 Peter chapter 3, and how you challenge us here through Peter, inspiring him to write these words, to be ready always, to be ready always, to give an answer. Why do we believe what we believe? What is our hope in? Thank you, we have a hope that is certain, that is fixed, that is sure. Thank you, our hope is in Jesus. Thank you for that peace that it brings. Lord, uh, this morning we do come before your throne of grace through that name of Jesus Christ to come before you to obtain mercy, to find grace to help in our time of need. I believe we live in a day and age and a time where we're in a time of need. So we do come before your throne of grace in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. We come here this morning to worship you, to honor you, for the scriptures tells us that thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Lord, may we bring you glory this morning. Lord, we do come and ask for your grace and mercy here this morning to meet needs, to meet difficult situations, to meet the trials that are before us that you have placed us in. Would you give us that grace and that mercy that only you can supply? Would you give us that peace and that comfort that only you can give to us? And Lord, I pray that you would meet with us here as these dear folks have gathered here this morning. They've taken their time because they believe that they can come before this throne of grace and seek your face. And I pray that you'll meet each need, each burden that is represented in each individual person here this morning as only you can. And we pray this believing and knowing that you are the great God the one that is in charge of it all. And may we continue in our faith to trust you, 
to be faithful to you. And as we leave this place today, may we have been encouraged with truth. Lord, not just with our feelings, but with the truth of what the Word of God states. That we can leave through these doors today knowing that you are truly the true God, the way, the truth, and the life. And that there's a world outside these doors and in this city here that need this truth also. Or their hope is hopelessness. They have nothing. May we share that truth with them as we go forth and as we evangelize this area. And those we come in contact with even today, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I had a chance to watch some of the proceedings yesterday where Gerald and Andrea were as Gerald's, as Andrea's father, who was a Rock of Ages missionary, as we saw Wendell Calder was, or Wendell Rogers was, um, and how that impacted. And he was, he was all about, at Brother Eddie, Andrea's father, all about sharing the gospel, all about sharing the truth. And uh, I believe that's important for us to be involved with today. Are you ready to evangelize in today's culture? That would beg the question, is it different? Do we share something else? Well, as you read this passage, particularly verse number 15, but let me start with verse 13 again, where it says, And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terrors, neither be troubled. What it's telling us here, as, as we look at this, we can be blessed, we can be happy if we're doing what is right, if we're sharing this truth, if we're sharing the gospel. And then verse 15 goes on to tell us, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Consecrate, set apart this, and here's the phrase, and be ready always. This is our responsibility as Christians. It's easy for us to sit in here this morning and praise God and worship God and uh, praise his name, but when we get out into the world, are we ready to share that truth with others? Are we ready to live that out to others? It says to give an answer or a, a defense to every man that asks you the reason of the hope that is in you, and doing it with meekness and with fear. And then it says in verse 16, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation or that word, that conduct in Christ, your manner of living it's talking about there. For it is better, Christian, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Message basically from verse number 15 in this passage, but it's interesting as we deal with the, in the conduct of our suffering and our difficulties of standing for truth. And we have to be ready to do that. In fact, the first part of this phrase in verse 15 says, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. That idea of our commitment, that C word that we always come back to, that preachers always say, our commitment. What is your commitment to Christ? What is your commitment to God? It says here in this particular passage, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Our commitment needs to be the Lord, number one, in your salvation. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says to examine yourself to see if you're of the faith. Examine yourself. Have you truly believed in Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection? As we see folks today that have been in their so-called Christian circles that uh, now denounce the name of Christ. 
who no longer claim Christ as their Savior, and they have wandered away. If they have denounced Christ, and you say, well, did they lose their salvation? They never had their salvation. They never trusted in the true Jesus Christ. And to understand that, and to make sure that the Bible tells us very specifically, do you know for sure you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as your salvation, your commitment needs to be to the Lord in your salvation decision. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see in this phrase in verse 15, though, it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. It must be a heart decision. Total commitment in your heart decision. A lot of people, you can know who God is. The scripture tells us that uh, the devil, the demons know who God is. But there is no heart decision to have you trusted Christ. So our commitment needs to be in salvation, also in sanctification. But sanctify, that idea to set apart, that idea of that uh, to consecrate yourself to the Lord God in your heart. It tells us there in Matthew, and really the theme of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto thee, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Your commitment, your sanctification, do you desire, as 1 Peter 1, 15 and, and 16, in fact, it's just a few pages back in your, your, where you are at currently, it says in 1 Peter 1, 15, but as he which hath called you is holy... So, you, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or conduct, that word means, because, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. God is a holy God. We as believers need to strive to confess, to be right with him daily in our walk with him. And then to our service, in our service to, our, our, to the Lord, our commitment to the Lord and our salvation and sanctification and service from 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I trust that is your desire as you are committed to him and to the Lord and then to his word. Verses in scripture in 2 Timothy 2, 15 Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. John 17, 17, sanctify them. Through thy truth, thy word is truth. So if we're going to be ready to evangelize, we ourselves must be committed. You see this principle taught back in Deuteronomy. When you're dealing with your responsibility as parents to your children and your commitment to teach them, it tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and to be committed to them, to teach them day and night while you're lying down, while you're rising up and in there. To what? To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. So your commitment. But then it gets to your commission in this verse 15. And it tells us this, to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you the reason of the hope that is in you and what kind of spirit do you have with meekness and in fear? What do we need? Our commission, what is it all about to give an answer? We need to be ready to present the gospel. To present the gospel, are you ready this morning? I know daily, every day, I try, and my desire is to always carry a track with me wherever I go. To be prepared and to ready, wherever you may be, 
to pass that to someone. As we were coming up in the springtime, and wherever we are, and there was a gentleman who we stopped at a fuel station, a gentleman that stopped, and he just came over and he was looking at my truck. I don't know why I was looking at my truck. The thing is a 2000, has 295,000 miles on it. I don't know why he's looking at it or what he wants it. So I, I, we were just talking about trucks and I, I just happened to hand him a track. I said, here, read this, it'll change your eternity. And in that conversation, he relayed to me how just in the last year, Christ had already changed his direction. He said he had a good friend. He said this guy was the wickedest man you'd ever meet, but Christ changed his life. From that conversation, we were there probably 20 minutes in a gas station talking about our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ, just because, you know, I handed a track and we pointed the conversation to Christ. You know, that's our responsibility, folks, and to share the gospel. So my question is, as we, are you ready to evangelize in today's culture? And I'm sure there's probably a track rack here someplace. Are you carrying any with you? This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what needs to get out to a world. If we're meeting here today, this is our hope, is in Jesus Christ. And it is what the hope is for this world. And we need to be faithful to be ready to hand that out. So are you ready to present the gospel? If someone came to you today and said, how do I get saved? How can I know I have eternal life? Could you turn in Scripture and share with them the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ? I trust that you could. If not, I would encourage you to start understanding, really, what your salvation is all about, why you believe what you believe, and how you could share that truth. Well, you say, I don't know what to say. You see, that, that, is, that is the great thing about God's Word, because it's not in what we say. Anybody is only going to get saved through the power of what the Word of God says. It's the power of the Scripture and the power of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's not in my words. It's in what God says that's going to change a life. If we get wrapped up in what men say, then we're going to get wrapped up and follow men instead of following God. And we, our confidence is in the power of what the Scripture says, the power of the Holy Spirit working in that situation and convicting them, because that is what the Holy Spirit does. He what? He reproves us, according to John chapter 16. He reproves us of sin, convicts us of sin, and he points us to Christ. And that is his job. And he can work through you as you share, and you have that opportunity to share the gospel in your commission, as we are commanded to do. And then there's always these that are skeptics of what the scripture has to say. And that's what this word uh, to, there is to give an answer or to give an apologia or an answer, an apologetic. It's not an apology of why we believe, of what we believe, meaning the careful logical defense of the Christian faith against the attacks and adversaries and showing its validity as the true saving gospel of God. He's our creator and Savior. In effect, Peter is admonishing believers to always be prepared to give an ap apologetic for the faith, especially when confronted by those who deny it and would destroy it if they could. And that's where we're at today, because we're dealing with our commitment and our commission, and now with our, our culture. What is our culture like? And you know, 
as we have seen the swift change in our culture of what is happening and what is going on. I'm going to try to do a few things here this morning, see if I can operate these buttons here. This statement here you can see up on the screen here. Our former president, a few back, President Obama, said, whatever we once were, we are no longer. We're no longer just a Christian nation. We are also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, a Buddhist nation, a Hindu nation, a nation of non-believers. The president is saying we no longer build our thinking on the Bible. We have a different starting point. But what he is really saying is that it is a change from one God to many gods. This is our culture today. In fact, the, uh, back in 2009, April, Newsweek magazine, the cover article, The Decline and Fall of Christian America, uh, they made this statement, the present, in this sense, is less about the death of God and more about the birth of many gods. Whatever we once were, we are no longer. It was one nation under God, but now it is many gods. And to understand uh, where we're at and what is taking place and really how we have gotten here, um, Here's a few stats I want you to see, and uh, interesting things that uh, have been asked. It says young people leaving the church. I think you understand this dynamic, but I'm thankful as I saw these two young boys sitting right in the front here this morning. That encouraged my heart greatly to see them up here and encourage them to be here and how important that is. And the, the body of believers you have here in this congregation is a is a tremendous thing in our culture today. And I encourage you along those lines as you have great family units established here in this area. And that it makes a solid foundation for you as grandparents, parents, and it's God's design. And then the children, and then your children being involved and coming. And as I've seen some of your young people grow up through the years, and seeing them now still stay in the area and to continue is a great thing. It's a very positive thing. And that for the future of what this church can be and reaching others and, and that dynamic. But you see, there's a world out there that these stats are true where 70% of young people that used to come to church are gone. They're no longer coming to church. When we go and we travel from place to place, a lot of times, as Jeff Neal used to travel with us and as we used to have our own young people, those in their 20s were the only ones that I brought with me. And that is true in a lot of locations. So you can be thankful for God's blessing here and your core group of believers and the strength in that and your foundation with the truth of what is going on. But outside these walls, that is not true. As we travel in Bible school this summer, we had a chance to do, with God's grace and meeting us, 11 weeks of vacation Bible school. We saw 35 young people uh, trust Christ and many adults that were challenged also and uh, that were there as some were done in a family-style Bible school situation. But uh, some questions as we register young people now and we get to ask them questions, you know, did you bring your Bible? 
This is the response sometimes. The, the question is asked, what's a, they, I said, did you bring your Bible? The response is, what's a Bible? See, that, that is what's out in this community here. And we can be thankful, you can be thankful, that you were raised in, if you were, in a family that brought you to church, that brought you up in that kind of upbringing. You had, you had exposure to that. And that is such a positive thing, but outside these walls, there are many dysfunctional families that don't have that opportunity, that don't have that. And there are those who have come to church that have left it. There it goes. Thank you. Then, it's, then this question was asked in the survey, when did you no longer believe that all of the accounts in history in the Bible are true? Notice where it started in middle school. Uh, almost 40% high school, and then college. Um, and we understand our education system. Thank you for investing in young people as you think of the Christian education and the importance of that as we see what is being taught. I was just watching a brief video clip this morning, and uh, um, Ray Comfort was asking questions, and these people don't even know who Adolf Hitler is. What are we teaching? Where are we at? and how important that is. But here it's talking about the history in the Bible. These young people who were in church no longer believed, started doubting. And isn't that what Satan's attack is? He's doubting. And this is our culture. This is what we're trying to get to. This is the culture that is there. I hit the right button. Church attendance. These are those who attended church. They're, these are people in their 20s attending church. This is what they believe. They do not consider themselves born again. Those in their 20s, almost half of them, do not consider themselves born again. They do not believe in a young earth. They don't believe what the scripture teaches because of what they've been fed elsewhere. This particular question, say either homosexual behavior is not a sin or they don't know if it's a sin. Why? Because they don't know what the truth of scripture says. That's our culture. That's where we're at today. Um, believe people don't need to go to church. Um, young people who believe the Bible as written, only 12%. And this last one here, I believe, says, believe if you're a good person, you will go to heaven. 65% of those in their 20s that attend church don't believe. And believe if you're a good person, you'll go to heaven. That, that's our culture. That's, that's where we're at. That, that is what we're dealing with, and it's different. So how are we going to deal with these things? Let me show you two examples. Turn with me to Acts chapter 12. Two examples given to us in Scripture of uh, what Peter did in Acts chapter 2. Did I say 12? Acts chapter 2. And uh, you understand this. You, you've heard this. You've probably heard many messages preached here. But as Peter stands up here, and when the Holy Spirit comes, where God's promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit to minister, and the amazing event that took place here, where those who were uh, of different languages could understand what was happening. As the first part of the verse talks about, and the Holy Spirit came, um, verse 4, and they were all, this is Acts 2, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, out of every nation un under heaven. Now these, 
different nations and Jews representatives in verse 9 and verse number 10, first part of verse number 11. The idea of tongues and other tongues, don't be confused with that. Those were other tongues, not unknown tongues. The word tongue in the New Testament always refers to a language. The word tongue in the New Testament always refers to a language, except when referring to the actual physical organ of the tongue. But here, these men are gathered, and uh, they're being able to hear uh, what is being spoken in their own language, which is an incredible event that took place. And when there was noise abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them speaking in his own language. They were all amazed, marveled, saying one to another, Behold, not all of these which speak Galilean. And on it goes here. But in verse number 12, it goes down to say, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth these things? How can this be? How can this take place? It would be quite an event if you, if you were there. If you could hear somebody in your own language, and yet they didn't speak that language. But others mocked. There are always mockers. These men are full of new wine. But here's where Peter takes advantage, and he stands up, boldly stands up, and proclaims the truth. Verse number 14, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken my words. He's not drunken, supposing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. What is that? Verse number 21. What is it? It goes back to Joel chapter 2 and verse number 32. And this is what it says. And it came to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the gospel. This is Jesus Christ to repent and believe. Repent from your sins. Turn from your evil ways and believe in Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. This is Peter evangelizing here, and he goes immediately to preaching what is called the power of the gospel, that is Jesus' death, burial, and his resurrection, the power of the gospel. And you see that listed as you go down here through the chapter as Peter continues to speak in verse 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel for knowledge of God, ye have taken by your wicked hands, you've crucified him. We see Jesus' death and his burial. And then we see immediately Uh, Peter is preaching about Jesus' resurrection. Verse 24, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, giving us victory over death. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is all about. It's about the defense of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we can sit here this morning with hope, with assurance. And that's why we can rejoice because as a Christian, we can be thankful that Death has been defeated. Um, It's in Timothy there where it says that uh, death has been abolished through Jesus Christ. And that is our faith. That is our hope. That is where we stand here today in believing these truths that God has established. End of verse number 26, it says, My flesh shall rest in hope, that life thou shalt be made full of joy, verse number 28. goes on down in verse 31. He's seeing this, therefore, spake of the resurrection of Christ. Verse 32, this Jesus that God raised up. Continually, the resurrection, that victory over sin, that victory over death. In verse number 36, it goes on, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord, Master, and Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, Jesus, your Savior. And when they heard the truth, 
the power of the word of God, notice what verse 37, notice what happens to them. Now when they heard this, they were what? Pricked in their heart. They were convicted and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent. He said, repent, repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ. Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the remission, for the forgiveness of sin, that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We know what took place, verse 40. And with many other words did they testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from these untoward generations. And then he says, They were gladly received word, were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. We have a great, great revival here a great work of many trusting Christ as their Savior. As Peter stood and he presented the gospel of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And this generation was able to understand that as they were Jews. They knew who God was. They had history of who God was. As I think about that and, and think of the, uh, this picture here, I was looking at this the other day. It's really an incredible, incredible picture. And to see the mass of people, this is Billy Sunday preaching here. I noticed these three gentlemen, you probably can't see them. They're sitting, they're sitting over there on the platform with their crossed arms and watching Billy Sunday do his thing there and proclaiming the truth in Jesus Christ. But notice the congregation, it's full. From the front, the stage, I mean, they're, they're filled up. I mean, people came to hear God's word. We just don't see that today, do we? Many times we have to attract them with something to get them to come instead of just the word of God is going to be preached and they come by the throngs. They just come driving in the parking lot and fill it up because the truth of God's word is going to be preached. Oh, it was different. It was a different culture. It's a different time but how important it is to understand the gospel was still shared. It was still the power of the gospel. Now turn with me to Acts chapter number 17. Acts chapter number 17. The importance to know that we can share the gospel and that we have a burden to share the gospel. And here in Acts 17, we have Paul, and he was at Thessalonica, verse number 10 and 11, and then he goes over to Berea, and he is sharing the gospel there. They didn't like him in Thessalonica. He left there. Second verse number 11 in Acts 17, it says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, searching, search the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. But it says here, when the Jews of Thessalonica, verse 13, when they found out about it, they came after Paul and Berea. And so Paul left Berea, and he heads to Athens. And he takes in there Silas and Timotheus, verse number 14, still abode there. But then Paul came on to Athens, and then he calls Silas and Timotheus to come. The end of verse 15. But now verse 16, Paul's at Athens. Now Paul waited for Silas and Timotheus to come join him, his spirit stirred in him, verse 16, when he saw the city wholly given to what? Idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews, with the devout persons, 
and, uh, and in the market daily with them that met with him. And so these worshipers here, and there are certain philosophers, Ep Epicureans and Stoics, encountered him and said, what will this babbler say? Others say he seemed to be a setter forth of strange gods. Notice after the colon here what he says. Because he preached what? He preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. What did he do? He did the same thing Peter did. He preached the power of the gospel, Jesus' death, his burial, and resurrection. But these are Greeks, and they're totally confused. They have no idea what he's talking about. Why? Because they have many gods. Many gods. And then they brought him, and they gave him opportunity to speak. Verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotion, or your idols, your objects of worship, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. And Paul makes this declaration. Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. So this culture does not know who God is. They're not, they're not familiar. In fact, uh, they, they made that statement back in verse number 18. He seems to be a setter forth of strange gods. Why? Because they had many gods. And he preached to him Jesus' death, his burial, and resurrection. They were confused. They had no idea what he's talking about. And, and Paul sees this idol, says, to the unknown gods, Paul says, I'm going to identify who God is. In verse 24, that is what he does. And this is the presentation of the gospel. What does he do? God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. What does he do? He goes back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. He says, in the beginning, God, who has always been, and always will be. He is the one who is the God that we worship. I'm identifying him as the true God. Neither is worshiped with men's hands. God does not need us as though he needed anything. See, he giveth to all life. God is the giver of life. He is the creator of life and breath in all things. This is the God that he has identified. He goes back to the beginning. He identifies who God is. And he explains this to him. He is the creator. God is over all. God does not dwell in temples made with hands. God is not in any idol. God is the one who provides us breath. God is the one who provides us life. We are made in his image. Verse number 26 is the great defense and understanding that there is only one race. It's called the human race. Verse 26, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, forth to dwell in all the face of the earth, and at the term of the times before appointed in the bounds of their habitations. There's a whole message and understanding that God is the creator of all. The pigment of your skin does not determine who you are. We are all made in the image of God. And we see when we forsake the truth of Scripture, we forsake what God has established from the beginning of Scripture, then we get ourselves in all kinds of messes. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But we can be thankful that God has laid out this truth for us and we can understand this. And he is describing who God is. In verse 27, they should seek the Lord. You should seek the Lord. You should seek this God. 
And you will find him in verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our beings and certain of our own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. God is the creator of all. Everyone is a child of God physically because God is the creator of all. God is sovereign. The Bible tells us we are fearfully and we are wonderfully made. We are made in his image. We are made after his likeness. We are made to bring glory to him. And then in verse 30, Paul gets to this phrase. In the time of this ignorance, God winked at, but now, now Greeks, he commandeth you all men everywhere to repent. Why? Verse 31, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. That is through his son, Jesus Christ. By that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. So here Paul identifies who God is. Then he preaches that Jesus is the one who has died for them and that is going to be their judge and he is, go he is rightly going to be their judge and he has conquered death. He is risen. How's this going to go? Verse 32, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, they mocked. Others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men gave unto him and believed. So we don't have 3,000 salvation decisions here. We don't have some big number to post up on our website to say, this is how many got saved. Just a few. Just a few. It's a different culture. They didn't even know who God is. What's a Bible? That's our culture. What's a Bible? The question is, are you ready to share that truth with this culture the gospel, understanding how to present it and understanding the basic truth, and that is the beginning. God created, I believe today, as you share the gospel, you're going to have to identify who God is. As missionaries, you think about this, as missionaries go to other countries, they immediately, many times, don't just share about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, because if you go to Japan or other countries, there are many gods, and you have to identify who is the biblical God. Who is the biblical Jesus Christ? He is the creator of the world. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and verse 16. He is the creator of all things. And we understand God created. It was a perfect creation. This world was originally without sin, without death, without suffering, without tribulations. God made it perfect to begin with. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. God said that it was extremely good because God's a holy God. He's not going to make mistakes. But then what happened? God gave instructions in verse chapter 2. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from the tree, you shall die. You shall die. What happened? Man sinned. Man rebelled. We are guilty of the same thing today as Adam is. We're guilty. We rebel. We don't obey God like we should. We need to be careful to repent and trust and confess to God daily to make sure our hearts are right. Asking the Holy Spirit, reveal to me the sin and the wickedness in my own heart and life. Are you willing to pray that prayer? That bitterness, anger, grief, malice, those types of things we need to confess and get right. But man sin. And that's why we have the struggle of today as man rebelled against a holy God, yet God in his goodness to us has provided a way. This is the foundational knowledge to understand 
what is going on, what is happening in our world. We live in a sin-cursed world. The ground groaneth, it tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 22. Even the ground groaneth and travaileth. Why? Because of sin. Do you have a hatred for sin this morning, my friend? The scripture tells us in Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride, arrogancy, and the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. Sin is a curse on this world, and we struggle with it today. You see, that's why our hope is in God, because of what Jesus did for us. Jesus, what? He was crucified. This is the power of the gospel. He was buried, and he rose again. This is what we preach. This is how you are converted through what Jesus Christ did for you, the propitiation, that uh, sacrifice that was laid out for you. Understanding, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were still sinners, yet Christ still loved us. Christ still gave his all for us. Why? Because we're in desperate shape. We, we need help. Oh, how we need to realize that. But folks, this is our hope the consummation of all things, no more death, no more tribulations, no more suffering. That is our hope, our fixed certainty, and that is what we're looking for, and that is the gospel. That is why we have a message. God has been gracious to you to reveal this truth to you, and I trust you have trusted Christ as your Savior. You believed in Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, and as we go through difficulties and struggles, and difficulties, we have that hope. It is different for us than the world who has no hope. But we have a hope that is certain and sure. And there's a world out there that is dying with no hope. You have a concern for them. You have a concern for what is going on in their life, what is happening. Oh, so many of them. It seems like there, there is no hope for them. They've turned... As you read Romans chapter 1, the reprobate minds, the lust of their own hearts, and that they, they have pleasure as you get to the last verse of Romans 1. They know it's wrong, but they still are stuck in it because of their own lust of their own hearts. Folks, we have, God's been gracious enough to give us that answer, that truth. As Gerald comes here to be your next pastor, I remember when he was young. My wife, he was born. His birthday was yesterday. I think he turned 34. I hope I'm right. If I'm wrong, help me out. I think I'm right. Yeah, I'm right. <laughs> and, um, but that morning when he was born, the nurse came in and told my wife I wasn't there that he had heart problems. He had a heart condition. And through the next five years, it was monitored at Akron Children's Hospital. And to understand that he was going to have to have open heart surgery. He was five years old. And you didn't know what was going to happen, what was going on. And then you see how God provided in his grace and his mercy through each situation. And how he took care of that situation. And he's provided for him in a special way. But then he experienced it in his own family with his last son, Gideon, had the same surgery, same condition down in Miami. Only he had his surgery when he was six months old. It was just incredible to me. 
how that can even be possible. A hole in the heart was the problem. Jaron had three holes in his heart when he was born, but they closed. But through difficult times, we can stop and we can praise God. Because God's been gracious to us to tell us that we can have life, everlasting life. There's a world out here that doesn't know that. Can you be faithful? Can you make that commitment to be faithful? When God gives you that opportunity, maybe he'll give you one today. Maybe it's, I shouldn't say just a track, because the track has the gospel of Jesus Christ in it. I don't know why that did that, but it did it. Um, that's fine. You can leave that there. That's fine. But a track that has the gospel in it. You don't even have to say a word, because it's the word of God that's going to change a life. It's not going to be your words, your fancy way to describe what happened in your life. It's going to be the power of the word of God. We've got to get back to the fact that Jesus is enough. Jesus satisfies. Jesus is the answer for us. And if he's changed your life, can you let God use you to, to share that truth with someone else? Think about that as you answer that question, are you ready to evangelize in today's culture? Say, so you don't know what I'm going through, preacher. I don't. But God does. And he's that faithful one that will help you. That will give you the words to say. Maybe now more than ever, you'll have that courage and boldness to say, God is the one that's helped me through this. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word.